0: Hi, Allie. Hey, Becca. We have a fun topic to talk about today, Allie. Are you excited? I'm so excited. Yeah. Yeah. This is a big one. So today, for our, our listeners, all you massage therapists, we're talking about dual relationships in the massage biz. And this is kind of a touchy topic. <laughs> did you see what I did there? I uh, did. T-touchy. I did. <laughs> um, anyway... Yeah. Dual relationships. So I, when we were talking about doing this episode, I definitely had a different stance than after I did the research. Really? Um, Yeah. When we were first talking about it, Align with the Massage Business Mama comes to you with a combined 22 plus years experience in the massage biz as entrepreneurs, providing actionable tips and resources you can implement today. Becca, an off-grid living, quirky trail-running, massage therapist, esthetician, and yogi, offers her business and wellness perspective to you with highly caffeine-fueled, compassionate wit. Ally, your hard-working driven, creative mom, massage therapist, business owner, lover of friend gatherings, all-time annual family talent show winner, brings her drive and business savvy to every episode. Felt like dual relationships were something that we shouldn't do. Um, just to echo Joyce in your uh, in episode thirteen, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, with respect, massage, which I, I loved the episode. But I really resonated with what she said about you know not having any dual relationships, and then after doing all this research, I really had a different perspective on it. So we'll go into that for all of our listeners as to like how. The research sh- uh, shifted my opinion on it, um, but dual relationships, they can be hard and there have been a lot of unhealthy examples throughout this episode. We hope that we can like create some clarity on how dual relationships can exist, be healthy and positive, and maybe how to navigate some of those uncomfortable, maybe more unhealthy experiences that can Come out of them. So, Al, dual relationships, are they something that you're cool with or do you have some boundaries around relationships in your professional life?
1: Yeah, so you brought up that episode 13 with Joyce, Respect Massage with Joyce Gothier. And her feeling was that she doesn't believe dual relationships should ever happen. She admitted that she's had them in the past, but that she wasn't always as clear as she is about this boundary. But now moving forward, she kind of avoids them altogether. And I see her point. I really do. I believe that dual relationships are not really ideal, but I also understand that they occur, especially when you live in a small town like I do. And I've lived in my town for 12 years. I've been involved with a lot of different things, charities, networking groups, mom circles, even bar friends from my early years. And for me, it would be extremely challenging to limit my clients to only those I had no other relationship with, however casual. That's just a reality for me in being a connected member of my community.
0: Yeah, so I actually have some, um, when I was doing my research, there's some information out there to kind of support what you're talking about. I'm going to quote uh, Kirk Nelson, the founder of Heartland Institute of Touch in Missouri, and he says that social boundaries generally address issues that are going to preclude having social relationships with clients, and that's kind of the one that we're talking about here uh, that can be a little murky. He explains that for for therapists in small communities, which is me and you, yeah, where social there's there's social relationships, they're going to exist, and He says that being clear about professional versus personal role is important. And I really found that just, I mean, we all know this, but to really see it in black and white, it it just made it so much more apparent for me that, you know, they can't exist and they can't be healthy, healthy. So they're completely unavoidable for, you know, those of us in certain situations, like living in a tiny, tiny little town. But as we're going to go through, there are healthy ways to handle them and not so healthy ways to handle them too.
1: I totally agree. My feeling is that when you do enter into a dual relationship, that you must make sure that you have clear boundaries. While it might feel awkward to spell out the differences between your social relationship and your therapeutic relationship, it is super important that you actually verbalize with the client where those lines occur. Like actually speak out loud there is a difference and things like undressing are treated differently chatting about mutual friends and so on explaining that you are creating a therapeutic container where their needs are the most important That the time is not meant to hear about what is going on in your life because it's not about you it's not about that back and forth exchange but instead it's a therapist client relationship that your purpose is to help them receive the work that they need. So getting back to it being really client focused. I think that this can be a tricky balancing act at times. And I can see, again, why Joyce feels the way she does regarding the issue. But I also know that I wouldn't have a client base if I didn't allow some flexibility here.
0: Yeah, exactly, Elle. It's funny, just recently, a friend of mine that I do have a dual relationship with was confessing that the therapist she has been seeing and is friends with has been not hearing her needs and addressing them in session. And instead is distracted and gossiping all about mutual friends. And I can just, I can sympathize with her. It's one of the reasons that I detest doing trades with people not always, but most of the time I would say my trade partner is chatty and distracted instead of giving me the work I need. Oh my gosh, Becca, I am so with you here. There
1: <laughs> are very few people I will engage with trades in anymore.
0: Yeah. So being distinct and clear about your professional container when you step in it, into it is so important. But I also think that Joyce, in her description of just not having any dual relationships, is like 70%
1: correct. <laughs> 70%. <laughs> okay.
0: So, Becca, what
1: constitutes 70% for you? Yeah. So, totally made up uh, percentages and statistics. That's, that's my expertise right there. <laughs> nice. Okay.
0: Um, so, I feel like for the majority of people coming out of school, including myself, Dual relationships is probably something that would be more comfortable to stay away from until you have all of your boundaries firmly established and your professional personality and brand um, more firmly, firmly established and integrated into the community.
1: Yeah, I often see this being the stickiest time for therapists. They're still so unsure in their therapist's shoes. Yet it's often uncomfortable to market yourself to strangers. And therefore, I feel like a lot of these dual relationships ensue because it is just more comfortable to get your friends and family to come see you. But that's when you're the greenest and you probably need the clearest definition of boundaries. One super important thing that I emphasize for all therapists is that the therapeutic piece of the relationship is being treated with the same respect any other client-therapist relationship is. I've seen so many therapists botch this one. They think that because it's a friend that they can be lackadaisical about keeping up that professional appearance. And I just think that's a huge mistake. I agree. And I've been there. <laughs> I remember the first time I gave my ex-husband a massage. He had already, We had already been dating for a while, and he kept begging me for a massage. So I finally agreed. But, I explained, he would have to come into my office and be treated like any other paying client. When he got to my office, I explained to him to undress to his comfort level, that I'd leave the room and give him a moment to get comfortable on the table before I returned to give him his massage. I felt like I was doing a really good job of maintaining that therapeutic container and expressing myself in a clear and professional manner, yet when I walked back into the room, he was lying buck naked on top of the blanket. (laughs) Oh my god. Oh my god the funny part was he wasn't trying to be inappropriate or even sexual he just truly wasn't sure what he was supposed to do and I hadn't explained to him to get under the covers like I do with every other client I see instead I brushed over this part I thought he would just instinctively know to get under the covers
0: (laughs) so what did you what did you end up having to do what did you do
1: I told him that I was going to leave the room and give him time to get under the covers. I really was trying to create this clear boundary. And later I asked him, do you think that every person I work on just lays completely naked on top of the blankets? He told me that he hadn't really thought about it. He was just that clueless. (laughs) And I had failed to create a safe space by fully articulating what the relationship expectations and logistics looked like when he was in my treatment room. My point is, is that It might be uncomfortable, but the more we can spell things out, the better. Now, the one type of dual relationship that is generally frowned upon from all the regulatory agencies and licensing boards is a romantic one. Now, I don't know many therapists who don't on occasion give their significant other a massage, and while this can create problems like the one I just described, I think the biggest concern goes the other way, when an individual starts as a client and begins moving in a more romantic direction. NCB TMB recommends waiting at least six months after discontinuing the therapeutic relationship to enter into any type of dating scenario. I think the main reason for this is that often there is a transference or counter-transference that occurs in therapeutic relationships, and what may feel real isn't, and damage could ensue. Because of the intimate nature of the work we do, we are particularly susceptible to transference. Transference is when... Clients transfer feelings, thoughts, or behaviors related to a significant person in their life onto us, the therapist. When this process occurs, the therapist assumes a more significant role in the client's subconscious mind. Now, countertransference is the opposite of transference. So when the therapists are the one bridging unresolved issues, bringing unresolved issues into the therapeutic relationship, this occurs when we fail to maintain professional distance from our clients. If you happen to notice one of these tendencies creeping in, developing awareness and understanding of how it can affect the therapeutic relationship is going to be really important. Uh, And then avoiding behaviors which intensify these tendencies.
0: I completely agree, Allie. Uh, Clear boundaries are crucial. And steering clear sexual energetic exchanges are extremely important. I do... Massage my husband, and <laughs> we'll go to, into it a little later. But how I met my husband, but all that being said, I absolutely do not think that dual relationships are a no no. In fact, I believe that dual relationships are a part of life. And if we do the groundwork as professionals, we can really evade some of the landmines associated with muddied dual relationships. Okay, Becca. So before we go any
1: further, Let's talk about the white elephant in this episode. (laughs) Yeah,
0: (laughs) yep, yep, yep. Your relationship with your husband. Yeah, yeah. So I met my now husband in massage school, and he became a client of mine for a 10-week case study, while I personally, well, both Allie and I, were neck deep in our ethics and communications classes at BCMT. My husband was referred from a friend of a friend, so I didn't, I didn't know him. I, I didn't have any like social uh, connection with him, really. I was pretty distanced. He came to my house to participate in a 10-week case study. And I remember when I opened the door for our first appointment, I was like, oh, oh shit. Like, <laughs> I was immediately ridiculously attracted to him. It it was, it was so powerful and it was so extremely uncomfortable and being only, I want to say five months into our massage therapy program, I was super unsure of what to do. It might've been less than five months. So just a little background for our listeners. I was a single mom for six years at that point. And I was at a point where I was absolutely not open to having a romantic relationship. So I don't really feel like I was, what did you call it, counter-transference. Mm-hmm. I wasn't projecting any of my romantic needs onto uh, my client base. In fact, I, I would say I was kind of the opposite. I was uh, really, really against it. Yet, it still occurred. Did I handle it the way that I should have? Um, I don't know you guys can be a judge, you guys could be the judge of that. But the case study that I was doing was for our NST course, so we were doing gait analysis using a plumb line and just collecting a lot of data on the best way to treat uh his physical trauma, which he had a, a whiplash injury from um, you know, ski bum lifestyles. what he had. <laughs> He's so cute. Oh my god, he's so <laughs> cute. Um so I took pictures and um he wore clothes and I will say that in clinical analysis I find safety for sure. Yeah. And so we went through this process. I mean, we saw each other for the full 10 weeks. We did stretching, METs, Um, there was a lot of client communication, and I felt like that those all created these layers of professionalism that kind of insulated me from, you know, these weird feelings that I was, these feelings of attraction, they're not weird, they're normal, Uh, these feelings of attraction that I was having towards this stranger at the time, my client, I am, I feel like I'm pretty good at compartmentalizing so I felt like I maintained a pretty decent power, professional power differential. And we'll go into that a little further, um, in, into detail into that a little later. But truly, regardless, what I probably should have done was not work with him. But in my mind, I justified it. I needed that third case study and I didn't have a backup. So, you know, shit, I just kept going forward with it. And that, that goes back to my like 70%. Like there was there was weirdness there. I should have stepped away. I should have totally stepped away, yeah. But um, I didn't, (laughs) so I'm not proud of this. But we randomly met in a bar in Telluride at a music festival that a friend of mine uh, and I had biked to. But I didn't know he was going to be there. You know, it was it was completely random, and we didn't communicate like outside of our therapy sessions. So you know, it was, it was coincidental. I didn't realize this. And I
1: think I was actually in Telluride with you at that point.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I ran into you. I ran into, um, Alyssa. Was that her name? I don't know. Oh gosh. And so Corey was there and oh gosh, are we supposed to be, I probably shouldn't be saying these names. (laughs) Uh, anyway. Yeah. So we had, we ended up hanging out, uh, that night and at the, the end of the night, um, it wasn't just me and him. It was like me, him, and a bunch of uh, some, some of his friends. Yes, yeah, dudes. <laughs> he was so cute, and I was just like, I just want to hang out. And yeah, I wasn't being flirty. You know, I was. I was really, really excited to be a professional in my field, and I wanted to know how to like navigate these situations. I mean, it came up right in the beginning, so chances are maybe it would come up again. Anyway, he kissed me at the end of the night. And I was terrified and slipped off my feet simultaneously. We ended up having our last therapy session for the ten week case study uh, immediately after the festival. It was like that Monday, uh, Monday or Tuesday. I can't so, really Becca, remember.
1: what was that like to have that final case study with him? Were you awkward? Oh my Were you god, uncomfortable? it was so awkward. Was he uncomfortable? Have you guys discussed it since?
0: Like since since twelve years ago when it happened? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we've, we've definitely discussed it, you know, and I was uncomfortable. He seemed very comfortable and fine with everything.
1: <laughs> he was just stoked. <laughs> yeah.
0: He's a little younger than me and he was a ski bum. And, you know, I mean, he was just happy. <laughs> <laughs> Having a good time. Uh, we did talk about it immediately after the session. And I mean, I probably should have canceled the session. It was, it was Probably a little inappropriate of me to go through with the final. I don't know. I don't know. You get so confused. Anyway, when our session was over, he asked me out <laughs> on a date. <laughs> and I said, yes. And I did reiterate. I didn't wait those six months. I reiterated that the case study was over and that I wouldn't be able to be his massage therapist anymore at all if we were to you know shift our relationship to a romantic focus we we totally should have waited we totally should have waited it was a total freaking mess for one I was you know personally working through my own history which was rife with trauma and emotional baggage in I was feeling extremely uneasy about having a romantic relationship with a client, which you naturally should. Uh, it was weird, awkward, and uncomfortable. We dated for about three months and then broke up and decided to just be friends, um, namely for the reasons I mentioned earlier. But eventually, like five—it was a little over five years later—we got married. <laughs> How crazy is that? But we, we—it it was really rocky and uncomfortable, and I think that if we would have waited the six months it might have been less rocky and less uncomfortable like I said before I don't feel like I was mining for a love interest but clearly there were some boundaries that I didn't have my boundaries fully established Yeah. yeah and I should have handled it I should have handled it differently um I'm
1: sure at that point, too, there was some piece of you that was like, well, I'm not actually a massage therapist yet. I'm still a student.
0: I mean, no, I took it really, really seriously. seriously? I did. Yeah. And yeah. I, I was devastated that I had this overwhelming attraction to a client. Like, I, I felt so disgusted with myself. You felt guilty. I felt so guilty. And I, at the same time, I couldn't help it and it was just the most uncomfortable um feeling ever you were like beating yourself up about it every day every day yeah until until eventually like you know we got married and I will say that like during the every day for five or six years you beat yourself up about it It was really hard because we were friends and I was a single parent like I we had to you know we we decided to stay friends in that friendship we were not We were not romantically, like, involved in any way, shape, or form. So three months of dating and then just friends. I did not work on him as a massage therapist during that friendship. Like, that dual relationship was, like, cut off. And did you guys date other people during that time? Uh, yeah, he did, and I attempted to, but I was just a mess over him. Obviously, I mean, I married him, so obviously, like, <laughs> <laughs> I was a little crazy about him. But it, it, was, it, it was just so awkward and uncomfortable and like I think that we were definitely meant to be together but it doesn't matter in any situation where there's that strong of a feeling with a client coming in Our body has so much wisdom and we need to listen to it and if we're experiencing that resistance then that's something that needs a hard look you know yeah and there needs to be an evaluation of whether that relationship should continue in a professional manner or if you should refer out. So
1: like, imagine that you had said, okay, look, there's this like strong chemistry and attraction. Let's wait six months. Like, what do you think would have gone different? How do you think that would have manifested different for your relationship?
0: Um, I think it would have given it a, like a healthier start, you know? um not to go into too much detail but the 3 months that we we did date were really uncomfortable for me yeah um i wasn't ready and i and i don't he he potentially could have been like transferring some stuff yeah you know he was younger and he was single obviously and so you know i think it was just a bloody mess. Is what it was. <laughs> well, I'm glad it's not a bloody mess anymore,
1: Becca. I know. I
0: know. Me too. It worked out. It worked out through a lot of through a lot of crying sessions. And there's those of you out there that might be listening uh, who are who are friends that had to endure my sob <laughs> sessions, <laughs> including Allie. Um. Yeah. So, th- but that brings me to like. Another thing. So there is that mining for love relationships. But then there's that whole thing that Joyce brought up about mining for friendships. Yeah. You remember that? Yep. And, uh, like, it's it's the same thing. And I don't know if you've noticed this or experienced this, Allie. But that client population that wants to be your friend because they're into collecting and creating personal relationships slash, air quotes, friendships with their professional exterior support staff. It's kind of like that tourist that wants to take home that super personal, authentic story of how they didn't do the tourist thing, again, air quotes, and their instructor, like their surf instructor, their ski instructor, or whatever, the bartender, insert local personality. And they really liked them, and that person invite had drinks with them, and like they met all their friends, and blah 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 blah. I don't know. Have you ever experienced that kind of client? I definitely know the type.
1: I would say that earlier on in my career, this was more of an issue than it is now. I think that for me, being a single mom has put the kibosh on some of the mystique I might have otherwise possessed for a client like this. <laughs> But, yeah, um, the stories I've heard from clients about skiing with Billy the Kid and, you know, just the bragging rights that occurs with it. And I agree. It's pretty, like, gag me with a spoon.
0: Yeah, I don't like it. Uh,
1: I do have one client who I began property managing her second home. She'd been a client for years, and then she asked me to become a property manager for her. And it it really doesn't entail that much work. It's just kind of checking on the place once a week and maybe bringing mail. And, you know, there was a windstorm a while back, so making sure there was no damage from, there was a massive amount of trees down in my town. Um, And when this duality initially began, there really wasn't an issue. But then when COVID started happening, things got a little bit different and a little bit stickier. So my policy on seeing people who traveled became really pretty strict and it was hard for me to say yeah I'll accept your property check and go into your house once a week and make sure things are all good and establish like a great li- relationship there and do anything you want me to but no you can't come to see me for massage and it just added a layer of messiness that wouldn't have been there if the dual relationship hadn't occurred and unfortunately. It's hard to predict. So like our relationship didn't start out problematic. And I think that that's the case in all dual relationships. They don't start out problematic. They become problematic.
0: Yeah. So dual relationships, just to break stuff down, like we've given a lot of examples, they can look like a lot of things. Bartering services, working on friends and family where social relationships are already established or developing a more casual friendship, Uh, like in your case, or maybe another professional friendship with long-term clients. And for all of these examples, being clear within ourselves is of paramount importance. Now, I believe that all these examples can be okay and even healthy, but I think that there needs to be some preparatory steps on our part as massage therapists. So right off the bat, I think it's very important to become clear of our own boundaries, comforts, and values. In our massage, uh, in, in alienized and I's massage program, there was quite a bit of attention given to exploring power differentials. The, ne- de- the definition being that a power differential is the inherently greater power and influence that helping professionals have as compared to the people that they help. Understanding both the value and the many impacts of the power differential is the core of ethical awareness, quote-unquote. And so with Brett, my now husband, I was hyper aware of the power differential and how important it was to not allow the client's needs for healing and help to be protected as a romantic connection, which I was... Uh, Which I overcompensated with by being extremely clinical in all of our interactions didn't really seem to help in the end. But (laughs) you're just that irresistible, Becca. Uh, I (laughs) am. There's a hair swoop happening. Uh, Um, I don't want to be. I don't. It's hard. It's hard.
1: uh, Yeah, (laughs) it's hard to tone it down. Sizzle, though, girl. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) Um, I will say that power differentials can be a hard thing for us to really integrate to understand that we have that much power because we come with so much healing and, you know, love intention in our, in our hearts and in our hands. But we do have a responsibility. It is important as healthcare professionals that we understand that there is a power differential between us and our clients and also understanding how to find a balance of power in those professional relationships because it is, it is a relationship. There needs to be communication. There's a great article, again, in AMTA that goes deeper into this. It's aptly titled Massage and Ethics. (laughs) But basically, we ask ourselves, am I someone that walks all over others or am I someone that allows myself to be walked on by others and be honest with yourself? Um, An example of, you know, someone who walks on others would be a therapist that spends two hours on a client when the scheduled time is 60 minutes.
1: I hate it when therapists do that. It's like they think that they're doing you a favor. But for me, as a busy working mom, chances are good I have other obligations.
0: Yeah, totally. Me too, Allie. Time is so, so precious. So in this example, that therapist is stepping all over the client's boundaries to assert their own agenda, which takes the client's power away and feeds that therapist need.
1: And what need do you think that is? Do you think that's like a need to like really work out that problem, Darian, and make sure that the, the client walks away feeling like you are god?
0: <laughs> I think you nailed it a little bit. I think that need can be, uh, you know, kind of murky and it requires some self-reflection to find out if that is you, why do you do those things, you know? And so really like that is probably the kernel of whole process. For professionals, is to do a lot of self-reflection, yeah, and a lot of self-work. So true. Um, another example, on the other hand, so the first example was an abuse of power by the therapist, and then another example would be when you're the therapist and your clients, client or clients, plural, they're always late. And they can and you continually to like bend over backwards to accommodate them even though it's disrupting your personal and professional life. Essentially, you're being a doormat and you're giving your power, authority, and I would even say your credibility away.
1: Yeah, so true. And I think that these lines get even more easily blurred in these dual relationships.
0: Yeah, and these power differentials, not having that balance of power really established, are just... uh, open for all kinds of unhealthy dual relationships to present themselves and, and infest your practice and literally all facets of your life. So some of the ways that we can lay the groundwork for positive functional dual relationships. I like
1: positive. Yeah.
0: <laughs> healthy. Let's let's just keep it healthy. I right? like healthy too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so be clear about your boundaries and state them at the beginning of your session every time, just like Ali said. For example, our session today is 60 minutes. I'll be addressing these areas we discussed as your primary concern areas today. Please undress to your comfort level and place your clothing on the bench. Be specific. Lie face down underneath this blanket and sheet. I will give you a few moments to get settled. Let them know you're stepping out. And then I will knock before coming back in. Please let me know that you're ready when I do so. And I actually have quite a few dual relationships. And I utilize that clinical verbiage and introduction every single session. So that my client or slash friend or whatever knows that the energy is shifting. And we're now in a professional space where I'm the expert with my clients' needs at the center of this time.
1: Yeah, I like that. And for me, obviously, the emphasis, emphasis should be to make sure to have the client get under the blanket. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's one that you only make a mistake on every like a few times in your career, and they're like, "Oh, actually." Yeah,
1: this was the only the only <laughs> instance for me the the one time with my ex husband. Really,
0: <laughs> you must be much more clear than me because it happened quite a few more times. It just was. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh! Yeah, men, women, all <laughs> above. Um. So. <laughs> Yeah, and Al, in one of the articles that we referenced, the author states to always be clear at the beginning of each session, regardless if it's the first time or the hundredth time, like I said, yeah. you've seen that client. And the point that the author makes is that your client's comfort level, regardless of how many times you've seen them, that specifically like with undressing um, or even just, just whatever, you don't know what's going on there in their life, it can change from day to day. So really set very clear communication in every introduction to creating that space. That's
1: interesting. I, I kind of like that idea of regardless of whether it's the first or the hundredth time to just be super clear. I don't know that I always do that. Yeah. You know, but like, you're right. People come to massage with different energy and different, different daily experiences. And-
0: yeah. Yeah. And sometimes it can just, it creates that safety, you know? Um,
1: And it's that shift in energy that you talk about too. It's like, okay, like we're stepping into like a different emphasis.
0: Yep. Exactly. Exactly. And I mean, this goes for all of your clients, but this is even just so, so important for dual relationships if you're going to have them, you know, being in a small town, we have them. Yeah. So the second tip is, be clear on what population you are and are not comfortable working with. So, this requires self reflection. Um, an example of this could be I prefer working on moms and kids, and I feel uncomfortable working on men. Doesn't matter what it looks like, that's just an example. But it's okay, like, know that it's okay to exclude certain populations and listen to your body as maybe a register. For your comfort level when working with certain populations, if you experience resistance, have that self-reflection and notice it and then start to be curious.
1: Yeah. And as this relates to dual relationships, there may be certain groups that you are more comfortable establishing these type of relationships with. Like I'm more comfortable working with moms from my son's play group, even though it's a dual relationship than I am with my
0: drinking buddies that I hung out with 10 years ago. Oh, my God. Hell, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that just, you know, drinking buddies, there's all kind of murky boundaries Super around Super murky. <laughs> <laughs> so tip number three, be clear on what your professional values are in your practice. In An example of this could be and you want to clearly state it or have it clearly written somewhere, maybe maybe short and sweet or maybe very in-depth. So my example here is I value creating a safe space for the LGBTQ community to find healing and safety. I express to my clients that all of our sessions are intuitively timed to allow each session to be completed according to my client's needs and value the space needed for each client to integrate their work before leaving the session. As a guideline, sessions can last. 30 to 120 minutes. So this already sets up that it's dictated by what you intuitively decide together. It's not you abusing their time. You guys have already come into this uh, contract openly and with awareness.
1: And Becca, like sometimes I'll find that like for a 60 minute minute session, I'll find that it's like, man, if I just had like five more minutes on this one particular spot, I feel like I could really make a little bit more progress. And so, in that case, I'll communicate with my client, like, hey, do you have anywhere to go? Like, because I feel like I could just spend a little bit more time here. We could get you out of here still, like, you know, pretty close to the time, but maybe five or 10 minutes over, whatever, and see if it's okay, not just assume that it's okay.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Communication is so important for us because we are in such intimate situations or, you know, relationships with our clients. Yeah. We're really helping them find uh, healing balance. We're part of their healthcare professional team. So always making sure that you have permission before doing something is honoring that balance of power. And then, I
1: mean, another thing along those lines as well is that I think that sometimes because of the power differential that occurs as therapists, that our clients sometimes have a hard time expressing what they truly mean or need. And so sometimes it takes an awareness to make sure that we're practicing like really active listening. And it's not always the verbal words that are coming out, but there's other unspoken cues. So like really being tuned into that where someone might say, oh, yeah, it's fine. But like you can tell by their body language when they've clenched up that like something isn't
0: fine. Absolutely. Absolutely. We need to employ all the senses to make sure that we are maintaining that client centered Focus. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. I really think clarity is key. So write down everything that is important for you to convey to your clients. Put yourself in your client's situation. What would you like to be told? What details would be important for you to hear? And then amp it up a notch. I think another a great way to distill your values is to create a mission statement. And basically the true takeaway here is just be clear as clear as possible about your professional identity, and this gives you the best opportunity to navigate and have healthy dual relationships. Becca, I love this. Gosh, I feel like I'm talking a lot. <laughs> we're we're almost there, I think. But this is such this is such useful information. Another thing I found in my research that I thought was hugely important is to really take time and reflect on what you want your professional space. To communicate to the outside world and to continually do this throughout your career. Regardless of dual relationships, if all this is clear in every aspect of your office and the way you conduct yourself professionally, anyone coming in will sense that power differential. You're the expert, they're the client, and know the rules. So, tip number four uh, constantly do self assessment, ask yourself some big questions. Am I stressed? Am I tired? Am I emotionally running on empty? Do I have a supportive social network? If we're needy in any way, we are particularly susceptible to stepping over boundaries. This really resonated with me.
1: Yeah, I I think that so often it's important to kind of separate out what's going on personally with what's going on professionally.
0: Yeah. I would even take this a little further and ask, am I socially needy or or lonely right now? Am I desperately needing a love relationship right now? Am I desperately needing touch? Am I emotionally lonely? And just really being honest with ourselves as we do this self-assessment, this self-reflection. And if any of these come up yes for you, be curious, find out ways that you can address your needs outside of your massage practice um, the thing that resonates mostly with me is when Joyce said that you know that that person she was talking to was mining friends from their practice uh, in a new town and I mean that's where you just really have to step outside and start to just utilize other outlets So that you're not projecting your stuff all over your clients, potential clients, and abusing that power differential.
1: Yeah, this can be really hard. I know as a single gal myself, (laughs) sometimes I feel the lonely bug. And it would be quite easy to let my guard down and allow clients to take on a little different role. But that's not ethical and ultimately wouldn't serve me. For me, one of the most important things to prevent this from happening is to implement my grounding techniques. I also really appreciate having colleagues or peers that I can communicate with when I'm struggling to maintain the therapeutic container. Sometimes being able to dissect why I am trying to fulfill a need with a client helps me to break the cycle. Best when this type of distinction happens early on, and of course while maintaining confidentiality. And sometimes if we are unable to separate our needs out of the equation, it might be time to discontinue the therapeutic relationship as Becca and her hubs did. <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly, Al. <laughs> Once things start to shift in a really blurry direction, it's just so important to communicate with our clients and disengage from that professional relationship and perhaps refer out. And I will say like, had I gone the opposite route with my, with my hubs, I probably wouldn't have been like, I find you incredibly attractive. We have to discontinue our, <laughs> our massage relationship. I mean, I probably just would have told him that, you know, my, I didn't need him for my case study, which what I should have done. But.
1: Oh, you don't think you would have, you don't think you would have said to him, like, I'm attracted to you. No
0: way. No way. That's too much information. That would have just like exacerbated the problem, don't you think? Well, I mean, maybe, but.
1: Discern, you might you discern
0: how much you want to divulge,
1: you know? <laughs> I mean, I think I might have been like, gosh, if I, like, if I say I don't need you for the case study, then, you know, he, he might take it personally. No. No, you shouldn't care. You shouldn't, care. You're you shouldn't right
0: care. You shouldn't care. You yeah, should Yeah. You're yeah, totally yeah. right. That yeah. You shouldn't care. Even if you're like so in love with him. Oh, my God. And you end up being married and then like, yeah, living in an RV in the winter. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so just in case you're curious, we have been married for eight, going on eight years now. And wow. Yeah. It has been the most amazing relationship. And I feel so blessed that he knocked on my door. And that he got whiplash that he got whiplash, yeah, that he threw himself off a cliff, like yep. you know, regular old ski bomb and found his way to my door. <laughs> Wounded puppy. oh God
1: <laughs> well we' we're, hope- we're like we're like actually like not dissuading people from having these dual relationships. they're like, I'm gonna find the man of my dreams by <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh- <laughs> only if you're incredibly, incredibly, incredibly. I don't know, lucky, lucky, yeah. It was really ugly at certain points. So yeah, that six month waiting <laughs> period. Oh my gosh. So the real ugly dual relationships that smear our profession are, are those romantic ones. And if you have any of those feelings, gosh, it's just so important to just be extra cautious and utilize these techniques daily in all of your relationships. You know, and dual relationships. They can be healthy, completely healthy. So we hope this episode gives you all some tools to develop healthy dual relationships or perhaps even the tools to maybe make the choice that dual relationships aren't for you. I'd encourage anyone in our profession to have a talk therapist, a mentor, and or all of the above, a professional support group, which can be uh, Facebook is great for this, but a support of your peers. Making sure we have strong self-care, including social network support, is critical in creating a balanced, successful practice, dual relationships included or not. We love you guys and gals and hope you enjoyed this episode. Happy healing, y'all.
1: Thank you so much for listening. And please reach out to us if you have any questions or topics you would like covered. We love suggestions. Find us at www.alignwiththemassagebusinessmama.com. Also, we wouldn't hate it if you were inclined to share or review our episode. Until next time, stay healthy, massage therapists.